Alright, good morning church. Welcome to a very cold Sunday morning. I don't know where you are listening from. I don't know if the weather is also cold at your end, but wow, we, we are here. I'm glad we could all make it here um, this morning and I hope we all had a great week. Amen. Are you enjoying the shortest month of the year? <laughs> Next week it's over. Amen. Feb- February it always comes like a month on wheels. It just goes as quickly as possible. That's amazing. Amen. Well, in the next few weeks, starting from today, we will be looking at a new series from the book of Jonah. How many of you have read the book of Jonah before? Uh, if you haven't, I, I want to trust that this would be a great opportunity for you to consider the book of Jonah. It's just four chapters. A great book. Amen. I know many people's uh, knowledge of Jonah is he was in the belly of the whale. Some are confused. Some say that, oh, the whale swallowed Jonah. Some too said Jonah swallowed the whale. But whatever be the case, there was a swallow. Amen. Um, Jonah, Jonah, Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. And that, that's, that's quite popular. But the story goes beyond that. And I, I, I believe as we take time to hear the spirit loud and clear through what he's going to teach us through this book we'll be blessed we'll be on a four-week journey uh, starting from today so i'm ministering uh, on our series which is entitled a preview of grace in the old testament a preview of grace in the old testament let's pray Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity and clarity of speech. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the articulator of all truth. Uh, I thank you that you are the inspiration behind this sermon. I pray that let this message be written on the tables of the hearts of your people this morning. Uh, Father, I pray that you enlarge our hearts, cause our hearts to receive this message and mix it uh, with faith that it will profit us. Thank you for what you will do in the next subsequent weeks as we go through this series as you have directed in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, the book of Jonah, we are really going to emphasize on the heart of God. That will be the emphasis on the book of Jonah. And what is God's heart? Uh, Many people don't have an idea of God's heart. But let me tell you authoritatively through the scriptures what God's heart is. It's a heart of grace, of love, and mercy. And nothing could be further from the truth. Any traditional views you have heard concerning the heart of God will have to be looked at through the lens of Scripture. God's heart is that of love, of grace, and of mercy. I never want you to forget that. Why? Because God's heart is captured very clearly and very succinctly in the four chapters of this book, and it's no one will perish. Uh, This book also talks to us about man's apprehension. Uh, to responding to the heart of God. Jonah represents all men. So when you are reading this, you are not just looking at an individual. You are looking at all men. All of us can quite relate to Jonah. 
Are you understanding me? Uh, I hope when we go through this book, we will humbly see ourselves. And when we see ourselves, may we come to a place of quick repentance. When I'm talking about quick repentance, I'm not talking about feeling sorry. Repentance just means change your mind. That's the meaning of repentance. Metanoia, it means to change your mind. When you change your mind, you are repenting. Okay? So it's different from feeling sorry. Um, the average believer's response to God's heart of grace and mercy is really captured in, in this book. So uh, we are going to go through that. Now, the overview of Jonah is about God wanting to have a heart of inclusion, which was grace. And it, it was something that wasn't received well by Jonah. And as we look at the chapters, we are going to see the different responses to how uh, he responded to this. Uh, if you think I'm lying, let me even pull this survey. Uh, how many of us were here two weeks ago when Minister Lily preached? She preached very powerfully on the Great Commission. Uh, she charged us to look for one person. Don't, she said, don't go far. Look, just look within your immediate circle of family or friends. That's it. Don't go far at all. And just look for one person and disciple them. It's been two weeks since he preached this message. Today, if I should ask, do you have a disciple? I'm, I'm very sure that an overwhelming majority of us will say no. And we will say no trying to give different excuses one way or another. You are Jonah. <laughs> you are not different from what we are about to study this morning. So all of us here can all relate to Jonah. Are, are you understanding me? Um, so today we want to start off with part one in chapter one. And I'm ministering under the sub-theme, the average believer's response. The average believer's response. So let's look at Jonah chapter 1 and let's look at the first 17 verses of chapter 1. I mean, not the first 17, the entire chapter, which is made of 17 verses. So I read. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come before me. Please, I hope we all know where the book of Jonah is. Amen. The book of Jonah is after Obadiah, before Micah. So if you really want to find the book of Jonah, just start from Matthew and go to your left. Let's start from Matthew and then go to your left. Because it's one of the very last books of the Old Testament. Just start from Matthew, go to your left. And once you hit Micah, you are there. Okay, from Micah to Malachi, it's not very far. So as you go to Micah, just keep looking to your left. The next book before Micah should be Jonah. And then in between Micah and Obadiah is Jonah. If you're also looking from Genesis, then make sure you hit Obadiah. When you hit Obadiah, after the book of Obadiah, is Jonah. Amen. So I just want us to find this and read it. If you have an electronic Bible too, that's even better. I think you'll find it quickly. So let me read. But Jonah arose, verse 3, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish 
from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. They said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may become for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said unto them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to the Lord, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its region. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and took vows. Verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, in today's scripture reading, we are dealing with not a sinner. Now, many people forget that Jonah is a prophet. Jonah was a great prophet of God. He was a prophet raised during the time of Jeroboam II. I mean, if you know um, the history of the Israel monarchy very well, there were two Jeroboams that ruled in, in, during that span. So there was Jeroboam II. It was at that time that God raised a prophet called Jonah. And who was Jonah? Jonah was raised during the time when Assyria were a very mighty dominant force. They really suppressed Israel. They took Israel into captivity. Uh, in fact, if you read the book of Kings, you will see so much of... Uh, how much terror uh, the Assyrians brought upon Israel. These were people, when Israel will plant crops, during the time of the harvest, Assyrians would just come and take the crops and eat the crops. They, they were bullies. And under the reign of the Assyrians, Israel, Israel was very impoverished. Israel was not like what God had promised 
the fathers of the day. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Israel was going to be a dominant force. When you look at during the time when they were under Assyrian captivity, and the prophecy that was given that the bright future concerning Israel, it was such a stark contrast. And it was so because of Assyria. Assyria were a thorn in the side of Israel. They really tormented them. It was around that time that God gave Jonah a very strong message, a message of restoration. And the Bible lets us know when you read 2 Kings chapter 14, that under Rehoboam II, Israel now began to advance strongly. They, they became mighty and they now begin to take territory. So at the time when this book was being written, Israel had now come back to prominence and Assyria had become weaker. That was something that they were to rejoice about. And this, this scripture too also lets us understand the love of God. And that's why I said it's called a preview of grace in the Old Testament. The, the average believer's understanding of grace is that it started in the New Testament. But if you read the Old Testament very carefully, you will see grace here and there. And this is one of the places where grace is captured very beautifully. And why do I say that? Because when you read Romans chapter 5, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated this love by sending his son. This scripture is a typical example. Now, this book is the only book in the Old Testament that God sent a prophet to Gentiles to go and preach. It started out with verse 1 that go and cry out. And the crying out means that go and preach a message of repentance to the people, warning them of the impending wrath of God if they continue to remain in their sins. So in the Old Testament, anywhere you see cry out, it's normally a figurative expression for the word repentance. Because in the Old Testament, God did not really send people to go to Gentiles to go and preach. You can look at a typical example like Elijah who went to Zarephath. It was a Gentile region. He didn't really go there to preach. He went there to minister miracle, you know, because he was looked after by the widow of Zarephath and, you know, God used Elijah uh, as an instrument of miracle. You know, but you never really see in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi when God commissioned a prophet to go to a Gentile nation who are not Jews just to receive the gospel. So right here, we really see grace here, really speaking. So this, this book is not really written to Israel. This book is about the inclusion of the Gentile lineage into the Commonwealth of Israel. If you look at all the 17 books, that's the prophetic books. The prophetic books are from Isaiah to Malachi. In between them are 17 books. If you look at all the 17 books, every message that God gave to the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Obadiah, Malachi, it's exclusively for Israel, except this book, Jonah. This is the only book that God didn't give a prophetic word to the prophets for the nation Israel, but this was given to a Gentile nation, 
that didn't know God. They were not the commonwealth of God. This was were enemies of Israel. And God was saying that I'm sending you forth to go and preach a message. So Jonah, we have established the fact, was a prophet. And he was a Jew. And one thing that you have to understand about Jew was that they really thrived on exclusivism. Jews really like to be one of one. We are the chosen generation. We are the ones that God loved. It's all he hates. We are a kingdom of priests. We are the ones God gives the commandments to. You know, even if a Jewish, pe- if a Jewish person was not even serious serving the Lord, at least these facts they knew. We are chosen. We are the seed of Abraham. Do you know what it took those days to be a seed of Abraham? It was something that you could really boast about. These Jewish people like that. They were very happy that they were exclusive. And one of the things that Jewish people hate was inclusion. They didn't like to mix with other races. That is why when Jesus Christ came and when he tried to preach the gospel to all, the Jewish people took offense to that. They took offense to that because they just wanted to be one of one. We are the only people that God loves. We are the only people who are accepted. We are the only people who are privy to the commandments. We are the only people that can enjoy the benefits of the commandments. Even when you read the book of uh, Acts chapter 11, church, a church in Jerusalem, when they heard that Peter had gone to preach the message to the Gentiles, you know, Peter went to Joppa. When he went to Joppa, when they heard it, they were not happy. This was a church. I'm not talking about unbelief. I'm talking about believers with apostles, where miracles were happening, where the power of God was moving, where there was a revival. Jerusalem was known as the center of revival. When the church heard that Peter had gone to preach the message to Gentiles who were not Jews, they took offense to that. So that should really let you know how possessive Jews were concerning their privileged status as being the chosen of God. Now, the Bible lets us know that God started by telling Jeremiah, I'm sorry, um, Jonah, not Jeremiah, that I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and cry out against them, for I have heard their wickedness. Jonah had a problem with it. God commissioned Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh. And you know what? Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. These people had just experienced freedom from Assyria. These people had now come to a place of prominence at the expense of Assyria. Because, mind you, when it, when, for Israel to be able to gain prominence and come back to becoming a political force, Assyria had to be weak. Now, God is saying that I want you to go to your former captors, people who have put you in captivity, people who have made you impoverished, people that you might even have PTSD. You you will have bad memories concerning that. I want you to go to these people and preach to them so that they will repent. And Jonah had a problem with it. And I don't blame Jonah if he will have a problem with it. If I was in Jonah's shoes, 
I will probably act the same or even worse than that. Lord, how dare you send me to go and preach to my enemy who has been defeated because he touched me. I am the apple of God's eye. In the Old Testament, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Don't you know that the reason why they are impoverished, the reason why they are down, is because they touched me, the apple of God's eye. And Lord, you want me to go and preach to them? What about if you also forgive them? If you forgive them of their sins, will you not look at them favorably? And if you look at them favorably, and if they become a mighty army again, will they not come and take us back to slavery? All these are questions. I will have these questions. But ladies and gentlemen, for this reason, the book of Jonah was written that we will capture the heart of God. God is sending to, uh, to, to us this morning through this book a message that there is nobody who is beyond the scope of God's love and God's repentance, irrespective of what they've done. And let me tell you, if God wants to win somebody to Christ, he doesn't consult you. Who is God's counselor? God will not consult you and tell you how bad you think he is. Does he deserve the gospel? How wicked is he? Does he deserve God's love? Does he deserve my, my, my mercy? God doesn't do that. You see a picture of grace right here. People who have terrorized the Israelites. Now God is sending somebody who has just experienced immediate freedom that go to these people who oppressed you, who put you in captivity and go and preach the gospel to them. I will have a problem. I'm not surprised Jonah had a problem. I don't blame Jonah if you you didn't want to go. For an Israelite, going back to Nineveh is like revisiting a dark historical period of oppression, defeat, and loss. Have you been there? Even in this world, look at certain people, like the Jews, in our present-day world. When you mention the word Holocaust, it really affects them. It triggers a lot of bad memories. It's like telling a Jewish man to go to Nazi Germany during the time of Adolf Hitler and preach to Adolf Hitler that God loves you. I think every Jewish person will struggle because of the inhumane and barbaric acts that were performed by Adolf Hitler. Even now in February is Black History Month. Some blacks, are, some blacks don't even want to celebrate that because they feel like we have suffered too much oppression, too much ill treatment, and it will be too much a memory for me to go down. It's painful. So every race normally have certain trigger memories that they may not want to touch. And so was Jonah who was also a Jew. He was not just a prophet. He was also a Jew by nationality. And therefore, when you tell him to go to Nineveh, his place where his captors lived, a place where he had experienced torment, a place where he had experienced loss, 
probably when when the Ninevites or when the Assyrians attacked Jonah, maybe they also attacked his property. Maybe they attacked people who that were close to him. Go back there. And let me tell you, if Jonah should have conferred with Jewish people, none of them, I believe, would have let him go. None of them. Nobody would have let him go. And what did Jonah decide to do? He decided to run away. He first and foremost went to Joppa. Joppa is 35 miles northwest. You know, now when you are driving, 35 miles is not long. I mean, 35 miles, you can do 35 miles in about 30 minutes. That's if there is no traffic. But 35 miles during Jonah's day was an eternity. Because he has to go on horseback to get there. That was a very far place. I think the news broke Jonah so much that he went so far away from where he lived. And he went to Joppa. And mind you, Joppa was not a place Jewish people lived. Joppa was a Gentile region. He went to a Gentile region. I'm not going to preach the gospel. I'm not going to do it. These people have attacked us. And they are in their severe predicaments that they are in. Because, Lord, didn't you say that the person who cursed me, that person is cursed? They can quote Abraham. Because, because God told Abraham, if someone blesses you, he is blessed. And if someone curses you, he is cursed. And Jonah was a prophet, and I believe he knew that scripture. Lord, didn't you say that whoever touches Israel, the apple of God's eye, th- that person will also be touched? And Lord, if, if by the grace of God, I've been able to see the misfortune upon my enemy, which should give me glee and should give me joy, you now want me to go and preach to them? I'm not going to go. He went far away to Joppa. And that was not just enough. He bought a ticket and said, I am going to go to Tarshish. And that was very far. That's about 800 kilometers. I live in Jersey. A place that would be 800 kilometers for me from where I live is maybe Alabama. Alabama is 800. No, miles, not kilometers. I'm sorry. Miles. Not 800 kilometers. Miles. That was very, very far. I don't even know what he was going to do in Tarshish. Why will he have to travel 800 miles? That's like from here to Alabama. That's about 800 miles. That, that would take me about like 17 or 18 hours just to drive from here to Alabama. That's a, that's a similar job. 800 miles. I'm just going away. I'm fleeing away. Jonah went to the most dangerous place in his life. It's called outside the will of God. The most dangerous place in the life of every believer is outside the will of God. Jonah was very far. He was outside the will of God. He just went. I just want to go away. For me to preach to these people, for them to have an inclusion with us Jews, for them to share in the commonwealth of Israel, for them also to be participants of the blessing of Abraham, then I'm, pre- I'm prepared to go that far away. And he went. But the Bible says that whilst he sat on the ship and he left, there was a tempest. It was a severe one. The Bible lets us know that 
when the tempest came and nearly broke the ship into two. That was how strong the, the, the tempest was. It was a raging one. In fact, nobody thought they were going to survive. And mind you, the people that Jonah was in the ship with were not Jews. They were Phoenicians. Because during Jonah's time, it was Phoenicians that lived in Joppa. And when you look at the average Phoenician, the average Phoenician was heavily steeped in idol worship. So these people, they don't know God. It was said that the average Phoenician had three gods. Average. They had a personal god. They had a family god. And then the national god. So these were people that were heavily steeped. They were, they were paganists to the highest order. So the Bible says that when the tempest came, they decided to pray to their God. So everybody was praying to their God. And there was no answer. So the Bible lets us know that the captain of the ship went down. And when they went down, I think he was probably upset. Like, what do you mean? You are here sleeping and we are about to die. And then when they brought Jonah out, they decided to cast lots. I remember one time someone said something interesting. I've not researched it, but he said that lots is where you get the word lotching from. I don't know how true it is. I've not researched it, but I thought it was interesting. And, and lots is like a game of chance. It's like throwing a dice. And whoever the dice falls upon, it's a game of chance. And even in, in a game of happenstance, the lot still fell on Jonah. And Jonah had to tell the truth. Jonah said, look, I am a Jew. I'm a man of God. I have run away from God. I've run away from his commandments. I fear God. I have run from the presence of the Lord. And that is why this tempest has happened. And if you want this tempest to cease, throw me out of the ship. You will have a smooth voyage. He told them the truth. And what I learned from this story is that God will do everything possible just to make sure that somebody is saved. The reason why he wanted Jonah's attention is that the salvation of Jonah's captors was that dear and that precious to God. God didn't consider Jonah's feelings. I know these people may have put you in captivity. I know the Assyrians are pagans. In fact, like if you do remember, last week I told you there were two nations that taught Israel how to worship idols or be heavily steeped in idol worship. Assyrians and then Egyptians. And then I told you that one of the reasons why the Samaritans were hated so much is that half of their blood was Assyrian blood. Now, a Samaritan was the union of an Israelite and an Assyrian. The union of that, the, the offspring of, of that union was a Samaritan. So Assyrians were really hated. But God decided to speak to a prejudiced Jew. He decided to confront him about his bias and his prejudice. That, that is not how the kingdom of God operates. It doesn't operate on prejudice. It doesn't operate on bias. I don't consult you 
on who deserves to be saved or not. I am God. Nobody is my counselor. And that's why I like that scripture in Romans chapter 9. Where it talks about the sovereignty of God. Who is God's counselor? Who can tell God who, de- who deserves to experience predestination or not? Who is God's counselor? Nobody. And Jonah was a prophet, but God did not confer with Jonah. And Jonah was offended. So he did everything to arrest Jonah's attention. But I like something about the Phoenicians in the ship. They didn't want to throw Jonah overboard. What they really wanted to do was that they wanted to get the ship to the land so that they would all arrive safely. But the more they decided to get to the land, the more violent the tempest flew. It became so dangerous that they thought they were going to lose their lives. And therefore, they had to throw Jonah overboard. And when they threw Jonah overboard, the Bible lets us know that there was a calm. And then what happened next was that the Bible lets us know that Jonah was now in the belly of a fish. God had prepared a fish for Jonah that swallowed Jonah. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't run away from the command of God, especially when it comes to winning souls. We all had today's Bible study. God takes his mandates, the commission of God, very seriously. And what's that commission? The commission is to make known his gospel to all and sundry without prejudice. God takes that very serious. You know, when Jesus told the people, you receive the Holy Spirit and you receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. I'm sure the Jews were very happy. Oh, Jerusalem and Judea. That's easy. We can't go. Samaria. <laughs> I'm sure they were thinking to that. This man, they don't, they don't, they don't, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We should go to Samaria. We should go to Samaria. Half Assyrian. We should go to Sam- Jerusalem and Judea. You won't even stop there. You want us to go to Samaria. Then he said, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, the Jerusalem, the, the Jews are like, no, God, God is not. You just go. We, we, will, we will look after it. We will, you. Just go. Just, just go. We've heard. We've heard. And if you read the seven chapters, they were only focusing on Jerusalem and Judea. Do you know why they went to Samaria? It was because God permitted Saul to vex the church and they had to disperse. That was the only way Philip went down to Samaria. If there was no trouble, Samaria would have not heard the gospel. And uh, from chapter 1 to chapter 7, I don't know how many period, the period of years that is. I, I might have to look into it. I don't know how many years that is. Whether it was seven years after Jesus. But it took a long time. They were not going to go to Samaria. They were just dancing around Jerusalem and Judea. And they were receiving miracles, revivals and things. But until Paul decided to stretch his hands towards the church. And God allowed it to happen they would have never gone to Samaria. So even when, when Jesus gave them that commandment, he revealed to them their bias and their prejudice. Ladies and gentlemen, if we want to be of service, if we want to be of a blessing to humanity, 
Please get rid of all biases and prejudices. Because sometimes in our mind, we might not even speak it out loud because we want to be politically correct. You might have unspoken biases. Unspoken biases of, I don't flow with that tribe. I don't flow with this person. I don't flow with this temperament. I don't flow with that. I don't flow with that. You can't witness the gospel like that. This is the average believer's response. It's one of the reasons why many believers are not making impact. Many believers are, don't have disciples because we have too much biases. And thank God this theme has come. I believe that this theme that was given to us by our presiding bishop has really come to challenge us to look at, do you have biases? I really believe so. I really believe so. For us to make Christ known, it's not just about running with the gospel, but we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves, do I have biases? Do I have prejudices? Am I a racist? Perhaps you have to even ask yourself this question. Am I a racist? Can I flow with people who are not my color? Can I flow with people who don't come from the same country like me? Look at yourself. Because if you don't look at yourself in the mirror, you will not take the gospel. You see, all this while, Jonah was a great prophet. I believe the Israelites really believed in Jonah's prophetic ministry. This was someone that God used Jonah to bring an, a, an impossible prophecy that Israel is going to come back to a place of restoration. And they did. Jonah is a wild prophet. But even though Jonah was doing ministry, Jonah had a bias. He had prejudice. He was a racist. He couldn't let go. He had a problem of, of, of unforgiveness. This year, if you want to make Christ known, you might have to forgive certain people and let Christ be made known. And you might have to let go of certain dark memories and dark history. Some may have to preach to whites. And you feel uneasy. You feel edgy when you are around them. But you might have to let go of that prejudice and that, that bias that makes you feel edgy. Some whites listening to me may have to learn how to preach to black people and flow with them. But you might feel edgy. And whatever that makes you feel edgy, deal with it. Because can I tell you the truth? God doesn't really have sympathy on your bias. Can I tell you that again? God doesn't have sympathy on your bias. Learn how to deal with it and let it go. Because you're a new creation. And if you're a new creation, you are not supposed to have bias and prejudice. Otherwise, all your plans will be frustrated. Ask yourself, why do you keep having Perpetual problems after problems. It might not be a time for counseling. It might not be a time for Pastor Steve to pray for you or Pastor Jessica or Pastor Robert to pray for you. It will not work. It might be time to ask yourself, am I obeying God? Am I obeying God? 
Am I truly doing what he called me to do? Or have I run away from his presence? Because let me tell you something. If you run away from the presence of God, God is going to frustrate every plan you have. He's going to make foolish every projection and every plan that you have until you get back to his main assignments. This is a preview of grace at work in the Old Testament. And you know the funny thing? Definitions, their lives were spared. These were idol worshippers, the whole ship. They were not Christians, idol worshippers. They don't know Jehovah. Their lives were spared because grace was at work. It was a preview of the new covenants. It was a preview that God had a plan of inclusion that would involve all of us. Therefore, it captures the heart of God here. And look at the people. When the people came to safety, these Phoenicians, who probably may have never even heard the name of Jehovah because it could have been possible, they all decided to offer sacrifice to God and make a vow. At least Jonah's disobedience caused his name to be known among a pagan society. At least. That's the good thing we can take out. So today, if we are listening to this message, hear the heart of God this morning. And what is his heart? His heart is that none should perish. And let us respond well. Because Jonah's response has highlighted to us the average believer's response to the Great Commission. The Great Commission is something that many believers are not happy about. Many believers are happy about prophecy. Many believers are happy about it shall be well. Many believers are happy about you will prosper. Many believers are not happy about let's go and witness to the Lord. It's almost like you are bothering us. It's almost like we don't have time, but we have time to receive blessings. We have time to receive blessings. We have time to receive miracles, but we don't have time to receive the commands and the instructions of God. It's too burdensome for us. Once upon a time, God told Isaiah, don't call the work of the Lord a burden. Say the scriptures. Don't call the work of the Lord a burden. We, we call the commandments of the Lord including everybody, the message of reconciliation, we call it a burden. God is speaking to us. I have a heart for all that none should perish. I have a heart that your enemy will not perish. Do you know what makes God God? What makes God God is the person that you hate. God will not hate him. That's what makes him God. He loves everybody. The one that you are mad with, you are annoyed with, God is also showing him great grace and great mercy. Do you think you are the only recipient of God's grace and mercy? Your sworn enemies that you have cursed that it shall not be well with them. God is also showing them great grace and great mercy. Therefore, we have to know God's heart. Today, I pray that we will know God's heart. This chapter or this book in particular by the time we finish, may we capture his heart. And not just that, may we learn how to respond well. Just begin to pray. Lord, I'll respond well. Open your mouth and pray.
I'll respond well to your command. I'll respond well. Mando Sibako Tolobroski and Abasi Kadabantami Mandosi and Terebaba and Dalababa. Your command will not be a grief to me. I'll respond well. I'll respond well. Thank you, Lord. Kadozi Bentoni Madoshara Kadibozi and Talabozi Kadebekando Damozi Kadebando Midalando Zobrokin Teleboshi Kayandelebe Kubarando Damozi Katande Dianto Raboshi Kadababando Lobozi Kadebe Mandele Bozi Kanto Raboshi Kandari Babondo Robroski Tayandelebe Kubarando Damozi Kadababa Mande Kulobroskin Teleboshi Kadababa I believe this theme that was given to us by our presiding bishop has been given to us to highlight all our prejudices, our biases, so that we can learn how to relate well with people and then we can take the gospel to them. Because for us to become ministers of reconciliation, it will have to thrive first on having good human relations with people. So if there is anything that we will pray, Lord, help me to love the unlovely. Help me to forgive the unforgivable so that I'll be able to preach your message of reconciliation. God is speaking to us. If the church, if we are going to just allow our prejudices and our biases to be crutches, that we will stand on to make an excuse. The church is not going to make an effect. It will never make an impact on people. You will have to let go of that bias that you have fortified yourself, that you have become too comfortable with. You will have to let go of that bias for God's glory to be unveiled. Thank you, Lord. We have received your word. We change, O oh Lord. We change from our ways. Help us to flow, O oh Lord. There are some of you who even struggle to preach to a homosexual. And we are not saying what they are doing is not a sin. But they also need God's love. It's not too far to reach them. God's mercy is not too far to reach them. We will do chapter 4 and you will see a religious response to God's love. I pray that may we not become religious. That we come to a place where we say, no, this person merits God's mercy. This one merits God's judgment. All of us, we all merit God's mercy, God's grace and God's love. That is why we haven't experienced judgment day yet. We all of us, as far as that hasn't happened, we all merit God's grace, God's mercy and God's love. Nobody should perish. Nobody deserves to be perished. Father, we've heard your word. Like Mary, we say, be it unto us, Lord, according to your word, in Jesus' name. Amen.